Well, I wonder if you've ever done that thing where you've been in a car or maybe in a public space and you've been, you know, a song comes on the radio or maybe you're at a Capitol nightclub or whatever it is and a song comes on and you start singing the song and you realise, or someone points out to you, which is even worse, that you've got the lyrics wrong. Uh, a friend of mine, I was chatting to him earlier uh, this year, uh, his name is Pete, and he said that that song, Born to be Wild, for years and years and years, uh, he used to think the words was Bon Chippewa. So, you know, this song by Steppenwolf, most of you might know it, it goes Born to be Wild. It says that, that, that phrase, Born to be Wild, over 50 times in the song. So he was getting it wrong 50 times, every time. Bon Chippewa! Wild. just going on like that. Embarrassing, right? I've done it. I don't know if you know that song um, by Cold Chisel uh, called Cheap Wine. There's a line in it that goes, Cheap, cheap wine. And I thought it was a three-legged goat. But it's actually Cheap, cheap wine. Does anyone know it? Three-day growth. Yeah, three-day growth. You know, the, that's the, the guy's drinking cheap wine. He's got three-day growth. I was singing it in my car once. And I'm going, cheap, cheap wine and a three-legged goat. And Laura, my wife, turns to me and she says, what did you just say? And I'm like, uh, three-legged goat? She's like, you're an idiot. But um, anyway, sometimes we think we're singing the right words, right? But we've got, we've got, we're just messed up, we're confused. We're all over the place. Happens in Christian circles every now and then. Uh, people praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in Heaven, Harold be thy name. That's a really bad joke. But, you know, we, we get the tune, right? We often get the tune, but sometimes we can just get the lyrics a little bit wrong. And we want to sing the song, but the details are all out of whack. And I actually think that that happens in our world, and sometimes it happens with us as Christians when it comes to love, sex, and relationships. We want to sing the song, but we get the details all confused. And we get confused about how we are to treat these things, how we are to, to use these things in our life. In the navies, in the gravy. There you go. Those things are actually called mondegreens. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but that's what it's called when you get the lyrics wrong. Mondegreen. I can give you the back talk story to that later on. But our world, I think, actually really wants to sing the love song, right? Most songs are about love. Uh, most advertising is about sex and beauty. Our world loves these things. We love these things, right? Because they're good things in and of themselves. God's created them that way. But it seems to me that our world is actually thoroughly confused about some of these things. Uh, Our world is obsessed with the body, that loves youth, that loves beauty. But then at the same time it degrades the body because it parades it in front of people as almost nothing. Uh, We live in a world which is obsessed with sex. Often it treats sex as the goal of life, the pinnacle, the achievement of life. But then at the same time, it actually degrades sex because it's something that can be just bought and sold. It's paraded in front of people on your computer screens, on your mobile phones. It's so cheapened that people will give it away to almost strangers. See, our world, our our country, I think, it seems to me, is actually confused about these things. They know that they're good, but the details are all wrong. The lyrics are wrong. And I think, at least for Australia, 
part of the reason for this is because of in the 1960s we had what is known as the sexual revolution. In the name of freedom, uh, people threw off the shackles, so to speak, of the Bible and its view on sexuality and how we treat sex. And in that, in that sexual revolution, the original song sheet was discarded. It was done away with. The, the Bible, people were saying, and still say today, the Bible, when it comes to sex and relationships, is backwards. Uh, it's offensive. It's outdated. It's immoral, even. These might be some of the things that you hear or maybe even think yourself. But friends, what I want us to do tonight over the next two weeks is actually just hear what the Bible has to say when it comes to God's design for sex and relationships, when it comes to marriage and singleness. I want us just to hear what God's design is because I actually believe that you might find that it's not as oppressive as maybe our culture wants it wants to make it sound, or it's not as restrictive as people say that it really is. I actually believe that God's plan, when you contrast it with the world and where we've got to in our culture, is a far better plan. Our world has followed this path of self-freedom and autonomy, and I think it's led to actually some really dangerous and hurtful places. And I want us to kind of try and map some of those things out over the next couple of weeks. And this letter to the Corinthians is actually really helpful for that. Because Corinth, uh, that little port town, uh, 2,000 years ago, Corinth was actually very much like Australia or America is today. Because they lived in a culture that just flaunted the idea of personal freedom, of individual autonomy, that you can do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want. It actually ends up, do you know, when you kind of chase that idea of personal freedom, it actually ends up with a very low view of the body and a low view of sex. And I want to show you why. But firstly, uh, if you've got your Bible open, have a look at um, chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians and have a look there at verses 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13. Um, I'm hoping to have some Q&A time at the end of this, so if there are any questions that come up, please just hang on to them and we'll, and we'll try and answer them at the end. Uh, in, in verse 12, um, the Apostle Paul uh, is kind of replying to some of the things that the Corinthians were saying. Have a look at it there. They were saying, everything is permissible for me. Everything's permissible. And Paul replies, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, they'd say again. And Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. They say food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. To which Paul replies, yes, and God will destroy them both. Do you see the little dialogue that's going on there? Paul is actually trying to use their own language, their own thoughts, their confused understanding of these topics to speak about God's view and, and on, on the body, on sexuality and freedom. Uh, like our culture today, the Corinthians, you can see it, they believed in sexual freedom, right? 
the sort of freedom that you, you know, when you actually read through the letter of the 1 Corinthians, you actually see how that sort of played out. At one stage, there's a man who's sleeping with his stepmom. At another place, there's a whole bunch of people visiting prostitutes. That's kind of where this personal freedom led them to. Everything is permissible for me, they would say. Are we free to have sex? Are we free to express our sexuality how we want, when we want, with whoever we want? It's a little bit like the Rolling Stones, isn't it? I'm free to do what I want at any old time. Sounds like anarchy. Yeah. But look at their logic. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. What do they say? They actually say sex is just another appetite, isn't it? It's like food. If you feel hungry for food, what do you do? Well, dial for a pizza. Just go out and get it. If you feel hungry for sex, then if it's just an appetite, why not dial for a prostitute? Just go and get it, however you can. Go out and experience life, the Corinthians were saying. That's their view. Play around before you settle down. If we're all going to die in the end... Might as well make the most of it, get the most pleasure before we do, right? Well, what would you say to that? What would you say? Because there's an afterlife. If you've got God in the picture, maybe it's different, right? Is it okay just to do what we want when we want? Well, Paul actually says that this sort of attitude leads to a low view of the body. Leads to a low view of sex and a wrong view of freedom. And in verses 13 to 20, Paul actually wants to correct those views. He actually wants to show us that our bodies are actually incredibly precious. He wants to show us that sex is extremely powerful. And freedom always comes at a price. So have a look there at verse 13. In verse 13, Paul writes, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. See, maybe food is for the stomach, and the stomach is food. That, that kind of makes sense, right? But Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality. Your body is meant for Jesus, Paul is saying. You have been made in order that you would serve your Creator. But you remember in Colossians that we looked at last year? Colossians chapter 1 said everything is made in, through, and for Jesus. Everything we have is made for the Son of God, including us, the creatures. You have been made in order that you would serve Jesus. And if you're caught up in sexual immorality, then you're actually not serving Jesus. You're serving yourself. But secondly, Paul goes on in verse 14 to say that the reason we are to serve Jesus now with our bodies is because it's these bodies that will be raised from the dead to be with Jesus for eternity uh, in the new creation. See there verse 14? Verse 14 says, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you see the implication of this? that body of yours that you've got. Have a look at your body. Do you know what? That body is a keeper. It's a keeper. 
The body you have is the same body if you're a Christian that you will have in the new creation. Paul says later in chapter 15 of this very same letter, he says that yes, it will be transformed, it will be perfected, it will be done away with brokenness, but it will still be your body. So don't you reckon that means that God thinks that your body is extremely precious and valuable because he's going to keep it for eternity. And if something is that precious and that valuable, then you just don't go throwing it around, do you? No, you be careful with what you do with it. That's what Paul says in verse 15. He says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Well, never. See, just as your arms and your legs are kind of joined to your torso, to your middle, if you're a Christian, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are joined, you are united to Jesus. And you will be forever. You'll be raised with him. And if you are a Christian, you are actually united to Jesus right now, do you see? Because Jesus' spirit is living in you. Uh, That was the great promise uh, that Jesus actually gave his disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel, just before he ascended into heaven. He said, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The way he is with us is by the Spirit. And so, friends, think about this. Paul says there, verse 15, he says, you are, Jesus is with you. You are united to him. And what that means is that, well, would you go with Jesus to visit a prostitute? Never, Paul says. It kind of changes our thinking, doesn't it? If Jesus is with us wherever we go, like, imagine he was with us physically wherever we went. That would kind of change some of the things we did, don't you reckon? Would you go and visit a prostitute with Jesus? I don't think we would. But this is the implication, right? Would we sort of sit down and talk about our fantasies with Jesus? I don't think we would. I think we would be more concerned with purity, right? Would we sit down and watch pornography with Jesus? I'm pretty sure we wouldn't. This is actually, I think, the presence of Jesus with us is actually a powerful motivation towards purity. Knowing that he is here with us, it means that we would never want to drag our Saviour's face and life into sin, into the sin that he saved us from. But that's what we do if we do those things. Because if you're a Christian, he is with you. You are joined to him. So friends, can I encourage you, let his presence with you be that powerful incentive to flee sexual immorality and pursue purity in those areas. See, Paul said here already, we are made for Jesus, we are raised with Jesus, we are united to Jesus. I don't know about when you got the birds and bees sort of talk, when you did sex ed, whether it was you know at school or with your family. 
I wonder how prominently Jesus figured in that talk. I imagine not at all. Uh, But Paul says, the sex ed that Paul gives us here, Jesus is the dominant topic, isn't it? Because if you're a Christian, your life is all about Jesus. It's about living for the one who died for you. It's about serving him. Your life isn't about what the world will want to tell you your life is about. Chasing career or chasing sex or chasing power or whatever it is. No. Your life is about serving and loving Jesus. And what Jesus says, what we notice here actually, is that when our life becomes all about Jesus, well, our life actually becomes all the more precious. See, Jesus thinks that you and your body are to die for, literally. The world might tell you that until you turn 33, like me, and you're kind of over the hill and you know, you're not young and beautiful anymore. The world will not tell you that, you are, that your body is incredible forever, but Jesus will. And that's powerful, isn't it? Friends, don't have a low view of the body. Have a high view of your body. Because if you have a low view of body, it actually means having a low view of sex. And it will actually end up causing you much pain instead of the pleasure that you're actually looking for. See, Paul goes on here to remind the Corinthians that they actually need to have a high view of sex because the body is so precious but also because sex is so powerful. So have a look at verse 16. Verse 16. Paul says there, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For he said the two will become one flesh. That last little clause there, the two will become one flesh, that's Paul quoting the book of Genesis, uh, where God was speaking about his design for marriage. The full verse there in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 says this. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Marriage, by God's design, and we'll think about this more next week, is actually a three-part process. It's leaving your mum and dad. It's cleaving to each other, the man and the woman. And it's becoming one flesh through sexual union. It's a man and a woman beginning a new, sexual, exclusive, permanent partnership. And the role of sex is actually to bind that new relationship together. And then it's to keep that relationship bound together. See, in God's good design, sex is kind of like a relational superglue. It's what makes the two become one. Sex is not simply an appetite like eating. No, it actually unites two people. Emotionally, psychologically, as well as physically. And modern science has actually shown us that when two people have sex, there are actually chemicals released in our brains that actually do have a powerful bonding effect. Two main chemicals are called dopamine. Uh, One of them is called dopamine. And it makes you crave that feeling again. 
so that you want to have it again. The other one is called oxytocin. And it's sometimes called the bonding chemical because it bonds you to the person or the source of where that pleasure comes from. So when you get those two chemicals happening, it actually binds people together. But it can be misused. This is why some people can get addicted to internet pornography. Because they get a dopamine high, but then they associate it with a woman on a screen. That's why some people have actually been known to go out and buy every single DVD of a particular porn star. Because they associate that with a particular person. They fall in love. They bond with the source of that pleasure. That's just kind of how God created our brains. It's incredibly powerful. God deliberately designed sex to bond you to the source of the pleasure. Now that's why Jesus says that the two become one. That's why Paul says that if we join ourselves with a prostitute, we become one with her. And this, friends, is why this is a big reason why sexual sin is actually so painful. See, if you've ever stuck your fingers together with really good super glue, you know how much it hurts when they get ripped apart. If you've ever stuck yourself to another person with sexual activity, then you know the pain of that being ripped apart. That's what Paul says in verse 18, for our good, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, he says, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. See, sexual sin is actually in some ways different to other sins. It's different because it's so personal. The things you see, the things you've done, the things that people have done to you, they just don't go away all that easily. You don't forget them like you might forget other sins that have happened. Sex is powerful. And when it's used apart from the way that God intended it, it can be horribly painful. That's why God actually says safe sex is sex inside the marriage relationship. Now it's my guess that in a room like this, there would be a lot of pain in people's lives caused from sexual sin and misconduct. And I don't say these things to stir these up. In fact, I actually want to go back to verse 11. Because if you're a Christian person and you've had some sort of sexual failure or something happen to you in your life, go back and hear Jesus' words of forgiveness. In verse 11, Paul writes, That is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you see that? He's just been talking about a whole list, a whole range of sinners. And what does he say if you're a Christian? He says, that is what you were. You are no longer that. You have been washed. 
On the cross, Jesus died for all the sins that you have committed and all the sins that have been committed against you. In him, everything done by you and to you has been forgiven. If you've come to Jesus, he has washed you clean. He has declared you not dirty of that sin, not guilty. That's why an article I posted on our Facebook page earlier today, Tim Challey says that in Christ, because of this, we're all virgins. Because we've been made new. Jesus has washed us clean. See, friends, Christians aren't perfect people. No, Christians are simply sinful people who've been forgiven by the perfect person. See, I'm someone who has used my freedom in all sorts of wrong ways that have hurt people and hurt myself. But on the cross, Jesus, the one who never sinned, died in my place so that I can be forgiven. He paid the ransom that I owed, the debt that I owed to God. And in verse 20, Paul actually says that if you're a Christian, because Jesus has paid that ransom, You are no longer your own, for you were bought with a price. And that price is Jesus' body. Jesus died for all the times that we misused our freedom. See, freedom is costly. It's costly because when we misuse our freedom, it hurts other people. It ends up in relational pain. And I think if we're honest, we'd admit that the freedom of the sexual revolution that our country has gone through has actually led to a whole lot of hurt in a whole lot of people. And I guess what I want to say to finish is that if you're a Christian, I want you to know that Jesus really does love you. And he really has got your good at heart when we read these words, flee sexual immorality and glorify God with your body, in verse 20. These words in the Bible are not because the Bible is prudish and backwards and restrictive. They're actually for our good. And they're for our society's good. If you're not a Christian here today, and you're thinking about these things, can I urge you actually to consider that maybe this design of God is a good design? That maybe it's worth considering that there is a God who has designed us in certain ways. And when we go against those ways, we don't actually flourish. But we end up in a society that's quite chaotic. But now, really quickly, I just want to end by saying some very practical things about verse 18. How do we flee sexual immorality? Well, I want to make three suggestions. The first is actually to take it seriously. Take this seriously. We've seen tonight the seriousness of sexual sin. And Paul says, flee from it. But I fear that often we just kind of flirt with it instead of flee from it. We kind of ask questions, you know, how far can I go with my boyfriend or girlfriend? What can I watch? How flirty can we be? Those questions, do you know, their focus is all wrong. Because the focus is on serving me. 
or serving my desire for sex and fulfilment. It's not on how can I serve Jesus. How can this relationship I'm in bring glory to Jesus? How can my using of the internet serve him? That's where our focus should be. Take these things seriously. Secondly, actually decide beforehand what you're going to do before you get into the temptation. Uh, In the book of Job, uh, Job uh, says in chapter 31 verse 1, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. It's almost as though Job himself set up this little contract with his eyeballs and he said, I'm not going to look at a woman lustfully. He decided to do that before the temptation came. He would flee that particular temptation. And it seems to me that there's a whole range of situations in our life where we will be tempted to fall into sexual immorality. So friends, decide what you're going to do. Decide your action plan before the temptation comes. I think one of the big ones uh, is internet pornography. And I think one of the really helpful things that actually comes out of this verse uh, is internet accountability software. Uh, One of them is called Covenant Eyes. I use it myself. Some other guys here I know use it. We find it very helpful because it actually reports what we've been looking at on the internet to our friends. So if you look something up, they know exactly what you've been looking at. That's helpful. That's thinking beforehand what you're going to do in that situation. That's just one area that I would recommend. But thirdly, to finish, I think the big one is we actually need to trust God that he's good and that he's got our best at heart. See, our God, he really does know what is best for us because he created us. He designed us. And he really does want what's best for us. I think the death of Jesus on the cross for us proves that right. So let's not second guess him. Let's not settle for second best. Let's trust him. And I think, in light of thinking about discipleship groups and meeting up together, let's actually help each other in this area in our lives. Let's talk about it. Let's be honest about it. Let's pray with each other for it. I'm going to pray, uh, and then um, if there's any questions, you can ask me questions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the Lord Jesus who died on the cross so that we can be forgiven of all the sin, of all the wrong. Father, I pray that you would help us to be different to the world. That we would not be focused on our needs, our desires, our wants. That we'd be focused on Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who loves us. And I pray, Father, that we as a group might be able to help one another in this really tricky and hard area in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's, I'm going to tell you a couple of things. You may have some questions about things I've said, but very quickly, draw your attention to this communication card. Um, we use this card for a whole lot of re- reasons. Reasons. Reasons will do. Um, we, we love to pray for you guys. If there's things going on in your life, um, 
they'd like us to be praying for. Uh, these are very confidential. Not many people see these, mostly just me. Um, we'd love to pray for you guys. Um, if you want to catch up, if you want to chat about some of the things that we're talking about or if there's other things going on in life, use those cards for that. Um, but also, if you're new or if you've got some details that have changed, uh, please let us know on those things as well. Secondly, a couple of really helpful books, I think. Um, this one's called Teen Sex by the Book. Now, I know we don't like to consider ourselves teenagers anymore, but um, this is a wonderful book. I think it's the best book ever written uh, in terms of a Christian understanding of sex and sexuality at all the hotspots that you guys are going through in terms of navigating life. Um, I can't recommend this book high enough. Uh, there's about five of them out there. Um, it costs about ten bucks, but if you really want it and you can't afford ten bucks... I'll probably just give it to you. Um, the other one is, is God anti-gay? Big question uh, in our current climate. Um, what does the Bible say about homosexuality uh, and transgender and all those sorts of other things? Um, very helpful book. It's not exhaustive, as you can see. It's only little. Um, but I think if this is a question that you've got, um, and actually if it's a question that you're thinking of asking me at the moment, I don't mind fielding that question. But this will be more helpful for you to go away and read. Like I said before, run yourself a nice long hot bath, read it in about an hour, and it will be very helpful for you to get a good Christian understanding of that question. Are there any questions you'd like to ask me before we split and go for dinner? Yes. Do you think um, race, moral, 